Hey, this is Philip Craig here. I'm the pastor of Aria Church. This is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this empowers you. I hope it fuels your faith. And I hope it impacts your life. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Wow. Everybody take a big deep breath in. And exhale. You can relax. You're in church. We're friends. We're together. We're allowed to relax. We're going to have a conversation more than hopefully I will talk at you. I'm really happy to be here. Really thankful to Phil and the guys here for the invite to be with you. Um, I understand that you're in the middle of a series called Offended. Um, And I guess I'd just love to maybe try to lean in. I'd love to chat around some of our story. I would love to share some stories about you, about who we are, about where we are. Um, I'd love to do chat around that. What is God trying to say to us? What is God trying to say to you? That's kind of where we'd love to go this morning. Um, I was thinking around being offended and what does that mean? And uh, somebody actually asked me the other day, what does it mean to be offended? Like, I was like, oh, it's, uh, don't know. Uh, I suppose it's kind of like when somebody hurts your feelings. I suppose it's kind of like whenever somebody annoys you a little bit. I suppose it's kind of like whenever you're upset with someone. Uh, I, I was really struggling to term it, and then I, I really felt like offense isn't actually what happens to me. Offense happens whenever I, ch- it's the choice that I make with what has just happened to me. I get offended I, because I cannot control what happens to me. I can't control what one of you might say to me after this. I can't control that. But I can choose whether or not I'll be offended at you or not. I can choose, like, the hurt will happen. Jesus said it, in this world we will have troubles, but take heart because he's overcome the world. And so I can choose offense. And I guess what, what I felt like God was saying to me was offense never happens in the moment. Offense always happens in the rerun. In my mind and in my heart, the rerun, whenever I start to do that. And so I want to I wanna chat to you around that a little bit today. Um, and actually, because not everything that happens to me or everything that I get offended about is necessarily bad because Paul teaches that the gospel's an offense and the gospel's good. <laughs> the gospel transforms lives. The gospel turns things upside down. But So it's about our choice and about what I do. And so I want to chat around some of our journey. I want to chat around some things. Hopefully it'll provoke you because it's usually the things that provoke us that we tend to get offended with. I'm going to hopefully provoke you a little bit and maybe you'll get offended. Maybe you won't. Maybe, yeah, we'll see. Is that okay? Great, great. Well, my name's Darren. I am married to Lauren, who was here. We got married three years ago this summer. Uh, we have a dog called Drake, uh, and uh, I said a few times, there's Lawrence clapping. Lauren treats the dog like our firstborn child. I treat him like our dog. Like, that's kind of how it goes. Like, I'll, I'll find Lauren, like, just, like, lying, cradling him like a baby. And i like, it's the dog. <laughs> like, so, and so we have a, a dog called Drek. Um, we live in Portadown. We're born and raised Portadown. We had a season of life where my mom, I, my mom lived in Rich Hill. My dad lived in Portadown. But we were always around town. Lauren, um, she born and raised Portadown. She's been in Portadown Elam since the womb. I... I showed up for Portland when I was about 16 um, and just prayed a prayer one night and I guess circumstances in life had forced me to like grow up really early and so I kind of, at 16, I, I'd seen some things and been in some places and I tried some stuff and I guess that night I was just sitting in church and somebody was preaching and I just said, God, if you are real, 
then I would follow you. And from that point on, went on this pursuit of trying to follow Jesus. And turns out he really is real and he really does transform lives and really does turn people upside down and puts people's feet upon a rock and gives them security and, and love and everything that I've been looking for, I found it in him. And as part of that journey, I got to lead a youth ministry in Portadown Elam Church. Um, and I guess I've been around it from I was 16 and just kind of volunteered in it and was part of it. And then just one day it was like, hey, do you want to come lead it? I was like, oh. Okay, and um, I, I was leading this youth ministry, and what was happening was we were meeting, we meet on Saturday nights, and we were meeting on Saturday nights, and we were having these really, like, remarkable times with God, like, really remarkable times of worship, really, like, just love being together, and, like, pursuing God together, and I was probably getting really frustrated with it, if I'm honest, but you're not allowed to say that when it's your thing, and I was like, oh my goodness, what are we doing? And I guess it's because... We were showing up on Saturdays and we were meeting and then we were just going home. And then we were showing up on Saturdays and we were meeting and we were just going home. And I couldn't, I was like, this doesn't feel, I, I, this doesn't feel like it's supposed to, I, I don't feel like there has to be something more to this. And I couldn't work out the way forward. And then one day I was at this meeting with all of these pastors and I was just at the floor, just, I was just kneeling on the floor, just praying. And I, I like, God, if you don't show me, and this isn't for pity, like this is just the reality of where I was. I was like, God, if you don't show me the way forward, then I'm going to have to leave because I'm supposed to be the leader. And if I don't know where we're going, then I should go and let the leader who will lead these people come. And I felt like God spoke to me that night and said, Darren, you're really proud. I was like, this is like, this is the stupidest prayer I think I've ever prayed. And I said, God, you're wrong. I was like, I had, like I was proud, and then I felt like I dealt with it, and now I'm not. But what had happened was I got handed this thing, and I wasn't sure what to do with it, and so my insecurities all started to come up out of me. And in that moment, rather than asking for help, I said, I can do this. And so then someone would have come and said, Here, do you know what you should do? And I said, It's okay, I know what to do. I've got this. And so this pride rose up inside of me. And so that night I gave it to God and I had this moment with God. And then I went to bed that night and in the middle of the night, I felt like God woke me up and said, what would it look like if you could take back everything the enemy had stolen off a generation of young people? I wasn't getting back to sleep that night. So I got back up and I started to write stuff down. I started to dream about Jonah and how this wicked city that God wanted to destroy and just one person shows up that doesn't love the people and says what God said, and that's it, and then leaves again, but it says that everyone in that city, from the greatest to the least, turns their heart to God, and I start to dream about what would it look like if every 11 to 18 year old in Portadown loved Jesus, and every year all we had to reach collectively as a church were 11 year olds, like what, would it, like what would that look like, and how could that happen, and start to dream about what this might look like, and in this journey, we started to encounter lots of young people, we transitioned in towards the tech back, and started like chasing after young people that didn't know God, and what has the enemy took, and who of the enemy took and started to chase it and we started to encounter all of these young people who just didn't know God and had never been in church and I was I came from like I'm not as old as Phil rather but I I don't know about you, like my mom sent me to every like holiday Bible good news club that there was I don't know if that was a reflection of her or me but I think it's just she just wanted like a brick and so here's free babysitting and I actually learned along the way that if you put your hand up in all of those then you get extra sweets and so I I went to every one of them so I knew some things and so when I went to something and someone said have you heard of Noah I was like yeah I've heard of Noah he had a boat I just knew it 
because I'd been around it, but here was the first time that I had found in youth ministry in Portadown that here was this group of young people coming through that just didn't know anything. You heard about Jesus? Well, <laughs> we talked about someone one night about the Ten Commandments. They're like, there's only seven. I'm like, no, there's ten. I'm like, no, there's seven. And because like, they'd watched something on TV that said there's seven rules for life, and this is what they knew, and this is all they knew. And just a really fascinating, like, I, <laughs> I gave one kid a Bible one day, and your kids aren't in here, are they? No. Kids are in the other room. That's oh, all right. I, I gave this one guy a Bible one day, and it was the first time, he's like, oh, that's a big book. And I was like, it's actually 66 books, and God put them together because he knows that you'd lose one of them, and like, what good, 65, and so God's really smart. So he puts them all together and gives them to you, and he's like, oh, God is smart, God is smart. And so I, I gave him the Bible, and he runs off, and he starts to read it in the corner, and I was like, oh, like tapping my mates. Look, look at him, that's lovely. Look at him reading his Bible, that's dead cute. And then he, uh, he shouts over this room, it was a loud room, and, but he was a loud boy. And he shouts over this room, Darren! I was like, yeah, what's wrong? I was like, think something's wrong. They're playing FIFA, and I assume something's wrong. I just went, don't eat the apples. <laughs> I was like, what's he talking about? And then he taps his Bible, don't eat the apples. I was like, oh, he's just started at the start and seen what happened whenever somebody, and then I was like, oh, very good, ha, ha. Like, carry on. And then he just shouts, Darren! At this point, everybody's looking. And he shouts, especially don't eat them if you're naked. <laughs> but it was just this journey that we got to go on with all of these people who, like, just didn't know anything. But it was beautiful because I could stand up and say, do you know the Bible says that you're supposed to tell your friends about Jesus? And uh, instead of saying, oh, you know, I don't know if I could, I don't know if they'd listen, they just go, all right. And then they go and do it. I said, you know, the Bible says if you should put hands on sick people and you'll see them recover. And they go, all right. I go, you know, the Bible says that when we come to worship that we lift holy hands to God. And then they go, all right. And that's kept, then that was the journey that we got to do with those young people. And then at the same time, I was leading, and I am still leading, Limitless, which is Elam's youth movement in Ireland. Like, we oversee youth ministry in all of our churches. And we were running all of these meetings. And we run a camp called Relentless. And uh, we were in these meetings. And honestly, like, the most remarkable times, like, in my life were in some of those meetings in this dingy tent in the middle of this soaking wet field. And... Meetings where I actually don't even feel like I'm standing in a meeting and saying to my friends, I don't actually feel like I need faith in this moment because I'm just watching God do it. Like, I don't need to have faith that, I, that he heals sick people because I'm watching, like I'm watching it happen. Like we're watching as people's legs adjust. We're watching as like people with skin conditions, it just clears up and like we're watching this stuff and I'm like, what is going on? And almost like meetings where I was like, do you know if I got to heaven and it was like this meeting, I would not be surprised. Like, because God's just there and he's doing stuff and we're seeing him do things in young people and through young people and it's remarkable and we got to do it. And then I was walking out the meeting and everybody else is ecstatic and I'm going, yeah, it was great. And I'm not asking the question, I wasn't asking the question out loud in case I got sacked, but then what's the point what's the point of all of this because I actually like Darren McClatchy didn't sign up to follow Jesus for the goosebumps 
I didn't sign up to follow Jesus just for a good time. I didn't sign up to follow Jesus for like meetings where they're really emotional. And, and like, I didn't sign up for, to follow Jesus. I actually, when I read it, I, I, I understood that the Bible said that when I follow Jesus, I take up my cross and I lay down my life and I follow him. And so I couldn't understand <laughs> this, what was going on. And then I read the Bible and I see that every time that Jesus encounters people and the Holy Spirit encounters people, it's because he's going to use them to encounter somebody else. So we read about it in Acts 2, the day of Pentecost, when like God pours out his spirit on the church and we see what happens in that upper room and we talk about, oh, we love what you did with those 120 disciples that day. Would you do it again, God? But we forget that there was 3,000 people on the street and these men and women spilled out of that room onto that street and that day, 3,000 people give their life to Jesus. And I don't think that God encounters us in a room just for us in the room to have a good time. I believe that he encounters us because he knows that there's people around us that need something, that are searching for something and they're searching for Jesus. And it's up to us as the people of God to carry it into the world. It's up for it's us as the people of God to be asking questions like we did back then. I started to ask the question, who's my 3,000 people? Who are the people that are outside of this that we're going to step into that space and we can impact with the gospel? Who are those people? And so we start to chat around it and I'm telling you all these stories because I want you to see that I'm going to tell you in a minute some stuff that God's told us and as a couple and I want you to see that this hasn't just been like, I didn't just wake up last week and decide. But these are threads of what God has been doing for years and years and years. And he's now beginning to start to tie them together. And they're starting to look a little bit more like something than what we ever knew that they would. And we didn't maybe see the significance of them until we stop and we turn around and we see, God, you were doing that. And I didn't even see it. I sat in Dublin City as a 17-year-old boy one day eating a burger and asked the Lord, what are you doing? in Dublin city. And I would have asked God that a lot about lots of places. And then that day, that was a different, it was different. Something was different about asking that question that day in that place. And it never ever left me alone. And I went through a season of my life where I walked away from God when I was like 18 till I was like 22. I walked away from God. And you know, whenever I come back to God, I pull my car on the side of the road one night and I cried my eyes out and said, God, if you would take me home, I would come home. And you know that, question still was there it was still there because the bible teaches us that even when we are unfaithful he remains faithful because he cannot deny who he is and so all of this to say that we we start to step into this and last year our camp some of the guys here were there it was we started to talk about Ireland. We started to dream about Ireland. Maybe Ireland is our 3,000 people. Maybe this island is our 3,000 people. There's some stuff I just didn't know. I didn't know that the north of Ireland is the most churched, churched country in Europe. It is. We're the most churched country in Europe. Like, we're not naive enough to say that if we went outside, we couldn't throw a stone and hit three churches. We could. Step outside of any church in town, we could do it. And so we start to think about that. And then I start to look and I start to read, do you know? And I didn't know until I started to read it that the South of Ireland, Republic of Ireland, call it what you want, is the most unchurched, unreached English speaking country in the world. And God, in his wisdom, has set the two right beside each other. And we could all go out and, I was going to say get in a car, we could get in a couple of buses, and we could, we could drive 
We could drive an hour and a half and we would be in a, an unreached. I have this app on my phone that, talks, that gives you like an unreached people group to pray for every day. And Ireland comes up once a year. And it's on the same lump of land as me and you. And so we start to dream. Maybe that's our 3,000 people. And so we're currently on this journey of moving towards Dublin City because we really believe that God passionately loves the people in Dublin City. I don't know if you're aware of some of the demographic. Dublin City has 600,000 people in its city centre. Greater Dublin has 2 million people. That's bigger than the entire north of Ireland. And it's... I'll share in a minute some of the statistics around that, but that's where we're, we want to push forward and we want to push into it because I really think that it's time for the church to stop playing defense all of the time. Like, nothing frustrates me more than people playing defense when we were called to play offense. I don't think we were called saved, set free, and filled with the power of God just to play defense, just to keep the kingdom of darkness at bay. I don't think we were called to sign any sort of a peace treaty with the kingdom of darkness. I don't think that I was called to sign peace treaties with the enemy that says, hey, you can come this far, and if you just stay there, then I'll just go this far. I don't think that's what we were called to do. I don't think that we were called saved, set free, and filled with the power of God just to batten down the hatches and sing kumbaya until the Lord comes to get us again, until he comes either, like, just, Lord, come and get us before it gets too dark. I don't think that's what we were saved and set free for. I feel like he saved us and set us free to play offense, to start to push the darkness back, to say, no, enemy, you've come too far, and actually it's time for you to back up. It's time for you to step back. It's time for you to push back. It's time to start to push the darkness back. God hasn't called any of us just to sit tight and wait on him to come get us, but to go and get people, to go and take back what the enemy has stolen, to go and push back the darkness. And John 1, in John 1, 5, it says this, the light shines in the darkness. Fascinating. Like, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. I don't know if you've ever like walked into your house in the middle of the day and the lights are on and you're like cracking up because you're like, oh my goodness, lights are on, electric. Like you're like, this, you hear like the money rolling away. You're like, well, who left the light on? And then you turn the light off. But you didn't even notice, really? Because the light was shining in the light. But you go home tonight when it's dark and you flick that same switch, everything changes in your house because light was created to shine in Darkness, light doesn't shine in the light. And we need to think about, like, where am I shining my light? Am I, am I keeping it tight? Am I shining it in the darkness? Am I hiding it? Hiding our light is an actual option for us. And we know that because Jesus spoke about it and said, you can hide it if you want. But it wasn't created for that. We were created to be a city on a hill. We were created to be a light in the dark. And light only changes things when it's in the dark, and so we have this task at hand to push back the darkness. And so we start to think about this island, start to pray, I start to think, God, what is it that you're saying? What is it that you're doing? And he drew me to a passage. I felt like anytime God spoke to me about my life, it's been out of like Matthew 9 or Matthew 10, and he brings me into Matthew 9. And there's these verses, Matthew 9, 36, it says, when he, it's Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and they're helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him 
to send his spirit? Doesn't say that. Ask him to pour out his spirit? Doesn't say that. Ask him to send money? Doesn't say that. It says, ask him to send more workers into the field. And you know, I feel like Jesus is looking at the island of Ireland and he's saying the exact same thing. This harvest is great. It's just the workers. The workers are few. The statistic is that the Republic of Ireland now currently has 1.5% evangelical Christian. 1.5%. 1 1.5%. I don't know if you're a figures person, but like that's it's not a lot. And we took, we seen this in the reality. We tried to take some of our young people around. We took over 100 young people to Cork just to do some outreach on streets. And we started to see people give their life to Jesus and started to see people really open for prayer and receiving prayer. And it's just that moment you're like, yeah, the harvest is great. The harvest is great. We just haven't had enough workers to talk to these people, to communicate this to them. And what we might miss in that passage is this. I missed it the first time. So Jesus says, ask the Lord of the harvest. Who is the Lord of the harvest? Jesus. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers. What he is essentially saying to his disciples is this. Look at that harvest. Why don't you ask me if I would send you? I have never prayed like that before. I've looked at the darkness and maybe I've crossed my arms and tutted and shook my head. Or maybe I've prayed a bit and said, Jesus, would you do something about that? Jesus, would you fix it? Jesus, would you, would you do something, Jesus? And you know, until it came to this Dublin stuff, I don't think I'd prayed a prayer like that. I'd said, and I said, Jesus, I see the harvest. Do you want me to go? When was the last time we prayed some prayers like that where we started to ask Jesus, is it possible that the light inside of me might be the solution to that darkness in that area of our community? Is there a possibility that the light that's inside of me might be the very light that that darkness is waiting on? Is it possible that the light inside of me might be the light, God, that you flick on in the middle of my community, in the middle of my family, in the middle of my workplace? Is it possible that that, that darkness is only dark because that light's inside of me? and I haven't got in the middle of it yet. Ask me, and I'll send you. And I think one of the greatest ploys that the enemy has is that he just tries to get us to, he tries to misplace our responsibility. He tries to get us to feel responsible for things that we're not actually responsible for, and to feel really responsible for things that we aren't. And it's smart, it's so smart. I did one of those test things. I, was it like, I don't know, it's like an Enneagram or a Strength Finder or something. I did something that was about my personality, I know that. And maybe that speaks of it, but uh, I was like freaking out, like, what is this going to tell me? And, I, I, and it, one thing it told me is that I was driven by responsibility. Responsibility is the thing that drives me, like, uh, as a human. That's how I am made up. Responsibility drives me. And so if the enemy can just get me to feel responsible for the wrong thing, then I'll never do anything about the right thing. I will never do the right thing because I feel responsible for this when I'm not, and I'm really responsible for this. And we see it in church all the time. We see it when we get offended over nonsense that doesn't even matter. We see it, and like, I don't know if you've been around church long enough. If you're not, like, it will happen. And you, oh, did you see, did you see the way she looked at me when I walked in here? Like last week, she was all happy, happy, and then this week, they like, wouldn't even look at me. Like, what's she thinking about? 
Hey, she, I'm real offended. I, I sit on that seat every week, and then they just rock in here and sit on my seat like it's not my seat. Like, who is? Who are they? You see, if we sing that song one more time, I'm leaving. I've had enough. I've had, like, honestly, like, what do they think? And we start to fall out over nonsense. I can't believe that they didn't put the good coffee out and I was drinking like instant. Like, who do they think I am? Like, it's nonsense, but we rerun it and we rerun it because we feel responsible for building church and that's Jesus's job to build the church. And we forget that it's about community and my responsibility in it is to prefer others and to love others and to lift everybody else up. And how do I meet the needs of other people? It's not about me. We are not the main characters in the story, but because we are, we feel, a res- we feel like we are. We feel like we have a responsibility on how this thing plays out. And that's not what it is. And all the while, while we're being offended at nonsense all the while the enemy is running wild with our families and wild with our friends and wild with our town and doing what he wants and I'm here being offended because somebody sat in my seat we see it all the time I want to show you I'll show you it in the Bible and Lauren's going to come up she's going to sing a song for us in just a second Matthew 22 this is one of these stories where the disciples are Jesus is trying to teach them about the kingdom of God, and I love that it's like so big that he can't just do it in one story. And so he teaches lots of these stories that it says the kingdom of God is like this. It's kind of like this. And this is one of them in Matthew 22. And it says the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. And when the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited. But they all refused to come and so he sent other servants to tell them the feast has been prepared the bulls and the fattened cattle have been killed and everything is ready come to the banquet but the guests he had invited ignored them went on their own way one to his farm another to his business others seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them we see that happen it's all happening all over the world like people are laying down their lives every day for the gospel it says the king was furious and he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. And he says to his servants, the wedding feast is ready and the guests that I've invited aren't worthy of the honor. Now you go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. And so the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike. And the banquet hall was filled with guests. And here's where I am. I feel, and I wouldn't have said this to you a while ago, I'm fairly confident in it now, I feel like I have spent most of my life trying to convince the guests that said no to say yes. That's where I've been in the story, trying to convince the guests that said no to say yes, feeling responsible for that feeling responsible for the guests that have said, no, oh, if I could just read another book, oh, if I could just watch another Ravi Zacharias video and be smarter, oh, if I could just introduce them to this guy who knows all about science stuff that I know nothing about, if I could just do this, if I could just do that, then maybe the next time I invite them, they might say yes. When all the while, there's people on the street corners and there's people all over that just have never been invited once. I become so offended by the people that were saying no. 
because I felt so responsible for them. And all the while feeling no level of offense towards what the enemy was doing and the people that he had. And so I started to pray and I feel like God really has in this season shifted where I feel responsible for. And here's where it is. If I communicate the gospel to you, which is the good news of Jesus Christ, and the gospel is this, that you were created for relationship with God, but sin, sin is the, when we do things that, and we think things that are, aren't, we weren't designed to do or think, it's not what God had for us, and we, sin gets in the way of this relationship with God, and it builds this wall between me and Jesus, when I was designed to walk and talk with him, and it builds this wall between us, and I cannot do well enough, be good enough, act good enough, give enough, be generous. I can't do anything to get over the wall or to knock that wall down. It is there. But when I could not get to God, God came to me and Jesus stepped out of heaven and he puts on skin and bones and he lives a sinless life, the life that I could not live. And he pays the price with his life for the sin that I committed so that that wall could come down. And now relationship with Jesus is an option with me. It does not mean my life will be perfect. It does not mean my life will even be easy, but it means that regardless of what this world throws at me every single day of my life, I get to walk and talk with God. And because he laid down his life for us and paid the price for our sin, and he rose again from the dead, that we might have life eternal and be with him forever. Once I communicate the gospel to you like I just did, I no longer feel responsible for your decision. It's up to you. That's your invite. Walking and talking with God is an option for you. And if you say no, that's up to you. Because I'm going to go and find the people that have never been invited because I really believe that nobody deserves to hear the gospel twice until everybody's heard it once. And there's people all over this island that haven't heard the gospel once. I, I was on a flight to Birmingham in January and I sit beside this man and I'm that guy on a flight that like if it's like a four hour flight, we probably aren't gonna talk unless I need to go to the toilet and get past you. Or, But if it's like a 45 minute flight, I don't care what you think you're doing, like we're talking. And so me and this guy start talking and he's like the, the Galway version of Del Boy. Like he's just like buying and selling something. He's flying over to buy a van to sell it to someone else over there to fly home. And uh, we're chatting anyway. And until that moment, he's in his 50s, right? In his 50s. And until that moment on that flight, he had no idea that he had any option other than paying what he needs to pay to the Catholic Church and showing up to Mass every week. He didn't know relationship with Jesus was an option for him. And so he, that was, he, I either do that or I'm an atheist. And I can't be an atheist because it would break my mom's heart. And so he's, and he's searching for God. He's going on all these pilgrimages and he's walking up mountains with no shoes on and he's paying all this money and he's, he's searching for something. But he didn't know he had another option until that flight that day. And I'd love to tell you that he gave his life to Jesus, but I don't know, maybe he did, I don't know. But I know that I don't feel responsible for him anymore because I told him. And so I, we, communicate, we have a chat around the gospel and I get off the flight really annoyed. How is it possible that a man in his, could get to his 50s on the same lump of land as me and not know. And all the while I'm getting offended over stupid stuff. And he doesn't know. And I go for dinner and I'm ranting to everybody and that'll listen to me. And I sit down for dinner with a friend and I start to tell him and 
he tells me this story about a guy who is a, he's a substitute teacher and whenever he's looking after exams he'll just walk up and down with the names of the young people and he'll be praying over them and they don't even know and I think that's brilliant and he's doing this and as he's doing it he's walking up and down this GCSE hall 16 year olds and God speaks to him as he prays for this one boy and God speaks to him and says as he lifts his as he starts to pray for this boy God says to him do you know nobody's ever talked to me about this boy before I burst like I couldn't keep like not even like nice crown like I couldn't hold it together like and not even for the boy I start to think about that man from Galway and I start to think about his wee mum I start to think about his kids and his grandkids he was telling me about I start to think about his friends because we can be sure that if nobody's sharing the gospel with them nobody's praying for him nobody's praying for his wife nobody's praying for his kids nobody's and here's me get offended over stupid stuff that doesn't even matter if any of us were born less than two hours from here we might not have heard the gospel it's just a fact like we might not have heard it we might have nobody praying for us and I don't know about you but I am where I am because people prayed for me and people got before God for me and people lifted me up before God and that might not have been an option and so Dublin City, like I told you, 600,000 people, inner city, that's where we want to shoot for, 1.5%. That means that right now, tonight, there's over 590,000 people that would go to hell tonight. There's 10,000 people in Dublin City are going to sleep outside on the street tonight. There's 100,000 people with full-time jobs that are living in poverty that don't know how they're going to feed their families. So when you start to walk in around the areas where those people stay and those people live, people stop begging for money. We have people... We walk through, people are begging me for a loaf of bread. They've never heard about him. And how can they hear about him unless someone goes and tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? See, we have lots of reasons why we shouldn't do anything. <laughs> like lots. I don't know if you're like me, I write lists. And on one list we have all of the reasons why we shouldn't. And you know on the other side, it's just those verses. How are they going to believe if they've never heard? And how are they going to hear if nobody tells them? Does it make any sense to us? Like, no. Do you know what we're doing? No clue. Everything that we've done so far, we've done in the context of having people there already, but we're showing up with nothing and no one. Can we afford it? No. <laughs> no. We're leaving our family. I know it's not a million miles, but it's a support network, and you don't appreciate your support network until you're about to leave it behind you. We're leaving our friends and our jobs and any sort of level of financial security. We're moving into an area of, like, rising poverty where middle class is just being eliminated you're either rich or you're really poor we're moving into an area that's going to cost us like if that helps you like a two bedroom flat's like two grand a month and these are all reasons why we shouldn't but how could they call on him unless they believe and how would they believe if they'd never heard and how would they hear if nobody ever told them 
See, as much as I'm offended at what the enemy's done, I really believe that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I really believe that the Bible says it, and I really, really believe the Bible. I believe that he still loves people. I believe that he still provides for people. I believe that he still heals the sick and raises the dead. I believe that he still heals marriages and gives purpose to people. I believe that he still is in the business of reaching into the mess that we have created in life, and he reaches down and he pulls people out and he sets their feet upon a rock. I still believe that he seeks and saves the lost. I still believe that he restores families and puts them back together. I still believe that he's the God that could transform a whole city if we just give space to it. But the call on all of us is to go. Maybe not to Dublin. If you did, that'd be great. We'd have a friend. But it's just to go. People get it all the time. I don't know if you get it. Phil, I, well, oh, what's, I just don't know what God wants from me. I don't know what God's purpose is for my life. I think I'll tell you right now, all of you, so you never have to ask Phil the question ever again. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, then teaching these new disciples to obey all the commands that he has given us and remembering always that he is with us even until the end of the age. The call is to go. And I don't care if you go across the street or you go pick up your phone and phone that person that you've been offended at. I don't care. But the call on all of us is to go because if we just sit back, then the darkness creeps in and we are the light of the world we are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden and it's our job to push the darkness back we cannot blame the government we cannot blame the council we cannot blame the culture we can't blame social media we can't blame movies we can't blame it we blame ourselves because regardless of what the darkness does we are the light of the world and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot put it out it's on us it's on us to make a change I've been in a bunch of meetings where we prayed for revival and we prayed for God to pour out his spirit and there's a couple of things we say all the time. God, would you move? God, would you pour out your spirit? And they're good prayers, I'll pray them. Like I'll probably pray them today at some point, but God, would you pour out your spirit? You know, I prayed that one day and I felt like God said to me, I already did. And I put him inside of you. God, would you move? And sometimes I feel like God's looking at us saying, would you move? You carry the same power that raised Jesus from the dead inside of you. Now you move. You carry the Spirit of God inside of you. So a move of you is a move of God. And we need to get up and out of our little huddles of light and to move out into the darkness and to see the darkness pushed back, whether that's in Portadown or wherever you're from, whether that's in Dublin, maybe you'll go to the other side of the world, but we need to move. It's on us. It's on us. I want to thank you guys for having us today. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's just a few things I'd like you to do. Subscribe to our podcast so the most recent message will always be in your feed. Secondly, if this ministry has impacted you, and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can go onto our website at ariatchurch.org and give now. And we will see you next time on the Ariat Church Podcast.